the Go podcast is brought to you by The Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.thesanctuarychurch.com. We are closing a series today. We are closing this upside down series. And uh, I've been walking through the Beatitudes. Uh, Beatitude is just the Latin for the word blessing. And so Jesus outlines all these routes to blessing. He goes, you want to be blessed? Here's one. Pastor Ashton just talked about another one of the blessings that we get. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Well, I sure like the blessing of receiving. Oh, it's more blessed to give? I'm trying to work that one out even as he was saying it, right? But uh, so we've been talking about all the blessings that Jesus lays out for us in the beginning of Matthew. And, uh, and I began to think about it, and I, I was like, man, you know, as we, as we walk through this process, there's so much that I'm like, oh, that's what I want to center on. You know, as I, I read the scriptures, I go, oh, I, want, I really want to focus on that. And I feel like uh, I, I was thinking about this, and it's like, uh, how many of you have ever been in the market for a new car, right? You're like, I gotta replace my vehicle, right? Well, if you were to go to like the, the, the lot, go to the lot, and you, you wanna get a new car, and you catch the salesman, and he says, let's take it for a test drive, right? And you go out for the test drive, and imagine, the, he's in the passenger seat, and he goes, so, let me tell you a little about this car. Uh, I, I guarantee you will, not, you will not drive in this car for 45 minutes before you're gonna wish for a chiropractor. The suspension on this car is like the worst. And, and probably, you know, I gotta, just got to let you know, probably the repairs on this vehicle are going to put my kids through college. So I'm really excited. I want to see you get this car. This is going to be a great car for you because I, I just, I just got to tell you right away, you're going to keep all the gas companies in business because this thing just sucks up on gasoline. It just, it just drains. It's not miles per gallon. It's gallons per mile, you know. So you, but I'm just really excited to take you out on this test drive, right? Now, no, no salesman who wants to make a sale talks like that. It's, it's just not the, the way, it's not the way that they would try to make that sale. And which makes me kind of go, so what was Jesus thinking when he hit this last beatitude, right? Because if Jesus wants to close the deal, he needs some serious tips on, on, that, on that portion of it, right? So let's take a look at these. Look at this, Matthew chapter five. Watch this, Matthew chapter five. Come with me, Matthew chapter five. We've been reading these Beatitudes. He starts, he sees this crowd gathering. He gathers his disciples. He sits them down. He says, listen to this. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Anybody remember these teachings going back? So maybe you saw them online. Maybe you were in our backyard, right? God blesses those who mourn for they're going to be comforted. God blesses, oh, this is a hard one, those who are humble, because they're going to inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, because they're going to be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, they're going to be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, they're going to see God. God blesses those, oh, this was such a good one, those who do the work for peace, not just talking about it, but do the work for peace. They're gonna be the ones that are called the children of God. And God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Again, if this was a sales pitch, Jesus needs some serious tips on closing the deal, right? But this isn't a sales pitch. Jesus 
is actually offering a comforting word of encouragement to his disciples who are going to be persecuted because of him. So open up our apps today. We're going to talk about the persecution paradox, how God blesses those who are harassed for doing right because they are going to get the kingdom of heaven, right? Now, as soon as Jesus brings his final conduit to blessing right here in verse 10, he doubles down in verse 11. Watch this now. God blesses you this word. What's that word? When. God blesses you when. Keep your eye on that. You may want to underline that one. When people mock you and persecute you, and lie about you, and say all sorts of evil things about you, because you are my followers. Got to keep that one in there. Not because you're a knucklehead, but because you're one of my followers, right? Then he goes all in in verse 12. Be happy about that. I'm like, skew me, right? What are you talking about, right? Be happy about it, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, be very glad, because a great reward awaits you in heaven. Remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. To those who are already being intimidated, Jesus says, don't be discouraged. Heaven is yours. To those who are about to be mistreated, Jesus says, don't be surprised. Heaven is yours. Notice, too, again, that Jesus doesn't say blessings come if people insult us, persecute us, or lie about us. He says, when People insult us, lie about us. And I'm like, beloved, it's inevitable that this is going to happen to the followers of Jesus. It's true that Jesus has, can, and will continue to bring people together. He reconciles relationships all the time. Husbands and wives who've stopped loving each other, and they come to Jesus and God reconciles that relationship. Children who've been estranged from their parents, Jesus gets involved, and all the statistics can be thrown out the window. As soon as Jesus is in the picture, stop looking at statistics. It's amazing how many crumbled friendships can be repaired simply because first to the cross wins. Huh? First to the cross wins. Many of us here could testify to the good news of Jesus being able to reconcile relationships and restore us. But you know what? Jesus can also come between people. That's the part we don't like. In Matthew chapter 10, just a few few chapters over, Jesus warns us, watch this, Matthew chapter 10. He says this, don't imagine that I came to bring peace on earth, but I like to imagine that. He says, don't imagine that. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies are going to be in your own house. Wait a minute, right? These are sobering words for a church that likes to market itself. We're a place of division? And listen, it's not just the church. Everybody's looking for applause. Everybody's looking for approval. So it's hard to accept this reality that Jesus says, yeah, this whole thing uh, following me is not going to get you the applause you're looking for. It's not going to get you the approval that you really, really want. Here's your first blank this morning. Jesus is letting his followers know that opposition is inescapable. You want to know about discipleship with Jesus? You will be opposed. Let me just start there. 
That's not, a, again, not a good way to start the program. So you mean people aren't going to like me because I'm following you? Uh-huh. Oh, okay, then maybe I don't want to follow you. In fact, at one point in Mark chapter 4, Jesus says that the worries and cares of this world choke out the seeds of good news. The seeds are planted, the sower sows the word, but the worries and cares of the world, I want to be accepted, I want to be liked, I want to be applauded. That will choke out the good news every time. And as much as we'd like to fit in, we can't help when you're following Jesus to be out of step to some degree. And if we are faithful to our calling, we can expect people to respond to us the way they would and they did to Jesus. In John chapter 15, Jesus kind of gives the, 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 and on his night of betrayal, I want you to understand, on night of betrayal, he tells his disciples kind of the same thing. He says, if the world hates you, keep this in mind. It hated me first. Oh, right. See, they called Jesus the prince of demons. What do you think they're going to call you? Imagine what they're going to say to us. And here's what Jesus says, don't take it personally. I can't help but take it personally. Don't be discouraged. I am discouraged because that's a lie. That's not true. In a way, rejection is the evidence. It's the evidence that people have caught a glimpse of Jesus in us. If we're faithful to following him, we can expect opposition, maybe even from those who are closest to us. While I hope that this is a comforting word of encouragement for us today, I also got to warn you, we need to be careful because this blessing is connected only to a particular kind of rejection. Jesus outlines what that is. For your app this morning, rejection brings blessing only, listen to this, when it's for the sake of righteousness. That, that's important. Oh man, I got people at work, they just don't like me. Well, if that's not Christianity, we got to start asking some other questions. This is an important clarification Jesus makes because without this caveat, we might be tempted to think that it's a blessing that anytime somebody insults us. We're poor driver and people are honking and waving at us with one finger. And we go, thank you, Jesus. I'm blessed. No, you're just a bad driver. See, sometimes the nasty things that people say about us aren't a blessing. They're just observations. We need to be concerned about that. Sometimes what we call oppression is just a natural reaction to our bad behavior. That has to end. They don't reject us because we're followers of Jesus. They reject us because we're petulant. You know what petulant is? It's a great word. <laughs> I want candy. We've all seen it in the grocery store. <laughs> Why they put the candy at the register, I do not know. But we've also seen it everywhere else. I don't want to wear a mask. Oh, that's petulant. When you throw tantrums, that's petulant. And sometimes people just notice our petulance. And we get rejected because we're contentious, because we're hypersensitive, because we're hard to get along with. Let's not invite them. Peter tells us that it's better 
to suffer for doing good. If that's what God wants, then to suffer for doing wrong. Let's make sure that our suffering is because we've done something right. Not everything that we suffer is because we're Christians. Sometimes the things that we suffer are just the natural consequences of being unwise. The things that we suffer aren't always directly related to our personal actions. We're not suffering because we're Christians, simply because we're living in this world. That's what it means to be human. Don't get me wrong, real Christians experience real suffering. For years, we have, as a church and personally, given to Voice of the Martyrs, which is Christians are being murdered every day for their faith. We just get people going, Jesus freak. No, people are losing their lives, being hung, being burned to death, being drowned, being cut up in the world today. That's persecution. And that happens. But I want you to understand what, what that is and often what we complain about is not the same thing. Later in his Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, Jesus says that the Father gives sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. Man, see, some blessings are just simply grace. Everybody experiences them whether they deserve it or not. The opposite is also true. There are some troubles that are just universally experienced. The last several years, many of us here have had to wrestle with Sarah Donegan. So those of you who don't know Sarah Donegan, how can a tweener get brain cancer and die? And you go, that, that ain't, that, watch this. First response, petulant, that's not fair. It's just living in the world. Had good friends, retired friends who lost everything in the 08 collapse, the financial collapse on Wall Street. And they were Christians, but it wasn't because they were Christians they lost it all. It's because they lived in the world. Take a look at Hurricane Katrina. Oh, Christians love to go, oh, it's because of the sin in Louisiana. Shut up. The earthquake in Northridge. Oh, it's the pornography that happens in Northridge. Stop. It's called tectonic plates. Is there evil in the world? Absolutely. Absolutely. But I want you to hear something. That's just what it means to live on the earth. All of those things, listen to me, they're impersonal. Cancer is not personal. Unless you go for it. I'm going to do things on purpose that I know, that I have been warned about, that I have been told that will give you cancer, okay, then that is personal. But, but Sarah Donegan, she just got brain cancer. When you got to put a tweener in a grave, that's hard. And, and we want to think, oh, and there's plenty of stories to tell. Why did that happen? The, the way they read it here in the Bible is, was it her sin or her parents' sin? Such foolishness. Again, Katrina, et cetera, et cetera, right? Listen, stop doing that. 
It, it's just, it just happens sometimes. The kind of suffering that is mentioned by Jesus and in this beatitude, in this beatitude and by Peter is what would be called targeted suffering. In those cases, the tormentor has a face. The suffering has our name on it. I can't stand that Christian name. And so they do mean things. And here's your third blank. There are some cases where I'm not merely the target of rejection. I'm also the cause. Uh, Beloved, we need to hear this. We're not just the target of rejection. Sometimes we're the cause. And that's Peter's point. He says, if we're going to suffer, it's better to suffer for doing good than for being a turd. (laughs) We need to ask a question. When, When we think that people are rejecting us because of our faith, we need to ask this question. Is it possible that there is something in my attitude or my behavior that is contributing to this problem? Have I done something that has made this happen? I I like to equal it to truth without love. That will get you persecution on you every time. Speaking the truth without love is this. Without Jesus, you're going to hell. Ooh, simmer down. Is it true? Absolutely. But there's a better way to say it. Watch the life of Jesus for a witness to it. We got to do some serious soul searching. We got to examine our lives, beloved. We got to have to ask ourselves some hard questions. And here's, here's a big one ask the people around us Hey, am I like that? Some coworkers at, church, at, at, at work said that I'm like this. And then you go to one of your friends, Am I like that? Do you really want to know? See, better be careful when you ask a question. Because I'm getting what I think is persecution at work. And they say that I'm like this. They, they say that I talk about other people. You know that lady at work when I tell you, oh, yeah, that's what you're doing right now. You, you see what I mean? And if we're really suffering for Jesus' sake, he says you get to rejoice. Really? That's the paradox. Because it's easier said than done. Which is why Jesus includes some motivation in this specific beatitude. He says there's a return on your suffering. There's a reward that is promised to those who are persecuted, who are slandered on his behalf. Heaven! Oh, we get heaven. Oh, but watch this. My response, that's it? I I apologize. I wish I was more spiritual than that. I wish I had a more mature response than that. But I go, really? Heaven? I used to think that way a lot. I used to think, well, how about a little something in the here and now? How about a little acclaim? How about a little respect? How about a little power? I'm serving you. Heaven's all good, Jesus, but can you do something for me in the now? I'm in the world that I live in Heaven isn't a good currency. I need something tangible I can can work with here. And underneath all that disappointment is the assumption that we are owed. We are owed something more, something better. That we're entitled 
for our devotion to Christ. I should get a little bit of something here. And Jesus goes, oh, oh, you want to know what you get for being my followers? Persecuted. Oh, can we just like get some white out on this page here somewhere and just kind of... Our view, honestly, is too limited. The fact that we are not motivated by Jesus' promise says more about our vision than it does about the reward. We just don't see heaven for what it is. We walk this earthly path with our head down. And so we just see all the difficulties in front of us. Man, it's just a drag. But the Bible says lift up your head. Lift up your eyes. I think the reason Jesus takes us down this particular road is to compel us to lift our eyes to the horizon. He says, oh, there is a reward, but it's not here. There is acceptance, but it's not here. There is honor, but it's not here. That's a coming. Maybe we think that enduring rejection, even with an eye toward the reward, well, okay, I'll just, I'm going to get in heaven someday, I'm going to get heaven, right? Well, man, you shouldn't be a follower for that reason. You know, I mean, after all that Jesus did for us, this is the least we can do for him. How shallow are you? The only reason you're doing that for Jesus is the reward? Now, I know that we shouldn't need or want the reward because it reduces the mentality of, it reduces us to a wage earner. I'm just doing it so I can get paid off in the end. And there is something to that. Keep in mind, Jesus is the one who told us about the reward. So he, he gave us that reason for a reason. In the parable of the prodigal son, which happens in Luke 15, the painting, originally by Rembrandt, hangs in the back of our father's house here. Luke chapter 15 Please do yourself a favor and read the story of the prodigal son and find yourself in that story. Some will be the older son, some will be the younger son, some will be the father. But there are characters in this, in this story that are so relevant for us. But in that parable, Jesus shows us the danger of being or having a wage earner mentality. That's when he talks about the older brother. The older brother, the responsible one who stays at home, keeps his nose to the grindstone, right? He walks home the weary path from the fields. Man, I'm just exhausted. I've been working all day for dad. Oh, man. And it says he hears the sound of partying, right? He's like, wait, the slacker is backer? Wait, what? The slacker came home? You gotta be kidding me. And not only did you welcome this punk, you throw a party for this guy? He wasted half of your wealth. And then he, he starts to list. Ah, he did this and he did this and he did this. And, and I, I'm like, hey, older brother, how did you know he did all that? Where were you when he was doing all that? How are you so in on it? because I know I like to keep track of other people's problems. And you know what happens? He says, you're throwing a party for him, and I'm not going to enter into that party. I'm, I'm not going in. 
You know why? Because I deserve a party. You owe me a party. This is entitlement. After all I do for you, Jesus, is it too much to ask that my refrigerator doesn't break down? After all I do for you, I go to church every week. Can you just not have my car need new tires? Now, you know, we see in the Old Testament, right, their sandals didn't wear out, right? They wandered around in the desert, and their sandals didn't wear out. Can't you just make my tires not wear out? I serve you. And we try and push these things over. That's the fourth piece in your, in your uh, app this morning. The trouble with the wage-earning mentality is it turns sons into slaves. Daughters are left in dungeons, and heirs are acting like homeless people, orphans. Heirs are orphans. It's like, wait a minute, I'm an heir to the throne. Why am I acting like I don't belong? We need to be on guard against the wage-earning mentality. But remember this again. Jesus is the one who pointed us toward the reward. He says, hey, we may face these trials, but do so with a sense of expectation. Because with Jesus, as he describes this, it's a blessing not a a wage. When there's a wage, it's proportionate to the suffering, right? Well, I suffered this much, so I get this much in the end. No, he just says, you get heaven. Well, they get heaven too. Uh Uh-huh, it's a blessing. Jesus doesn't speak in terms of equivalence. He speaks in terms of grace. This is a grace to us. We're not paid for our troubles. These are blessings that we get. And Jesus doesn't give the detail as to the nature of the reward. He just leaves it at heaven. And then he says this. Here, I want you to know there is proof. Remember, it's all the people that have come before you. They treated the prophets the same way. And they have their reward as well. For most of us, this beatitude is a reality check. It's a great reminder. Beloved, hear me. This world is not our home. We're going to have troubles here. This is going to be, we're, we're, going to, we're going to get mocked. The reward is not here, it's there. We've got to get this into our head. I'm creating a series, working on a series right now called Get Your Head in the Clouds. Most of us have been taught all of our lives, get your head out of the clouds. And I'm saying, I think we need to get our heads into the clouds. Because it'll get us thinking a little differently about the things that we encounter in this life. Masks, quarantines, can't eat out, governor, and we bark, 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 bark. I'm stop. Heaven. We're here for, no, it's not even that much. It's not even that much. It's, you know what they say? It's the dash between the year you were born and the day you die. That's, that's all we're here for. In the line of eternity, a little tiny blip on the map. Beloved, we need to get our heads in the clouds. One of the ways that that happens is uh, before we had moved into this facility, my bride gave us a really beautiful picture. She was talking about uh, my mother-in-law who lives with us. She's been living with us for the last several years. And, and uh, she does knitting and, 
and crocheting, and I like to call it cross-stitching, just a bugger. She goes, it's not cross-stitching. I'm like, all right, mom, whatever. Anyway, so she has, these things you learn, they're called schemes. That is actually a word. I'm like, that sounds like a disease. Like, I got to go to the doctor. I have a skein on my elbow, right? But yarn comes in these things called schemes, right? And so she makes these blankets, and then when she has leftovers, she, she saves all the leftovers. And I don't care how small it is. She gets the tiniest little, look at this. Oh, here, this one. Just little tiny balls. Oh, here's one. Look at that one. She said, I'm like, throw it away for God's sake, right? She goes, no, 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 no. We're we have to keep it all. I'm like, what a waste. And so she, she keeps all these, and, and the basket just grows and grows and grows until she puts it all together. Beloved, this is what she makes out of, listen, out of the leftovers. Here's what I want you to hear. Your little piece, your little piece of what you contribute, oh, it's only this much. It's okay. When it comes together, it creates something wonderful. And here's the beauty. This is one of them. Here's another one. Do you notice how alike they are? Every single one that she creates is completely unique. No two blankets are the same. Because she uses all the leftovers from the projects in this particular season, and then she used all the leftovers in the projects from this particular season. And there was this much of that, and this much of this, and this much. And so she brought her tithe, and he brought his tithe, and she brought her offering, and they brought their offering. And together, we created a warm blanket for this community. That's what we're doing here. That's what it means to be heavenly minded. That my portion is important to the overall structure. Yeah, but all I, I don't, see, because here's what people do. Well, I can't teach Sunday school, and I, I'm just really not good with people. Great. We'll put you in the parking lot to guide cars in. Listen, it's okay. I just don't want to, I'm just, I don't know what to say to people. Cool, that's cool. That's all right. Beloved, the beauty is this. Look at that. This warm blanket was put together from the remnants the leftovers. I'm so broken. What I bring to the table is so, it's just so, uh, I think about me sometimes and I'm like, I'm just the, I'm number five of seven, born in Pacoima, went to Valley College. Barely. What's God gonna do with that? And I simply said, whatever you want, my life is yours. You use it the way you wanna use it. And so as long as we keep coming that way, Lord, my life is yours. God wants to create something beautiful, something warm, something comforting. But he does it with you and him and her and them. He pulls us together. But we got to first bring our threads. This is all I have. Two points of reflection this morning. Of reaction, response. First, if you, are, you have been struggling with how God made you. I don't have a testimony. I didn't do drugs. I wasn't in a biker gang. Oh my. Praise the Lord. God rescued you before you went to that kind of a bottom, but you know your bottom. 
Everybody's got one. And when we found that bottom, we said, Jesus, you got to come into that bottom. Come rescue me out of that. Those two responses. The first one is this. As believers, we have to bring in us. All of us. No matter how much it is. No matter how big. No matter how small. I love that it's so beautiful. Doesn't matter the color. Doesn't matter the size. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Just bring it. Beloved, bring you. And he will put something together that is absolutely wonderful. The second response is if you do not know Jesus, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus, whatever is here, whatever you've brought today, I've been divorced, I've been this, I've been that, I've got these troubles, I've got these current things, I've got these past things. That's okay. Jesus goes, oh, that, I'm a fixer of that stuff. I, I, I rescue people from all that stuff. The, the fancy word they use for it in the Bible is Christ or Messiah. But essentially, it just means the rescuer, the one who can pull you out of it, save you. I don't know what you bring today, but I will tell you this, he can save you. So let me pray for us. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus for those of us here as believers who have discounted our gifts who have said it's not enough, who have said, I just don't have what God needs. To, if he, you know, he needs these kinds of people. Me and my ADHD, I disqualified myself for years that God could use someone with ADHD, with capital H in the middle of all that too. It's like, but Lord, when I gave my life to you, you, you turned, it, turned it around. I thought, oh, okay, then let's go. Let's party. Let's, ha- let's, let's bring the kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. If you're here this morning and you have discounted yourself, you have discredited yourself, in the name of Jesus, I say no more of that. Starting today, you you are his and he wants to use you. He wants to weave you in. Takes that little, little bit that you are and I can use it. I can put it together and make something beautiful.